0: from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler by E.L. Konigsberg. Chapter Four. Claudia and Jamie woke very early the next morning. It was still dark. Their stomachs felt like tubes of toothpaste that had been all squeezed out, giant economy-sized tubes. They had to be out of bed and out of sight before the museum staff came on duty. Neither was accustomed to getting up so early, to feeling so unwashed, or feeling so hungry they dressed in silence each felt that peculiar chill that comes from getting up in the early morning the chill that must come from one's own bloodstream for it comes in summer as well as winter from some part of you that knows it is early morning claudia always dreaded that brief moment when her pajamas were shed and her underwear was not yet on Even before she began undressing, she always had her underwear laid out on the bed in the right direction, right for getting into as quickly as possible. She did this now too, but she hurried less, pulling her petticoat down over her head. She took good long whiffs of the wonderful essence of detergent and clean Dacron cotton, which floated down with the petticoat. Next to any kind of elegance, Claudia loved good, clean smells. After they were dressed Claudia whispered to Jamie let's stash our book bags and instrument cases before we man our stations. They agreed to scatter their belongings thus if the museum officials found one thing they wouldn't necessarily find all. While still at home they had removed all identification on their cases as well as their clothing. Any child who has watched only one month's worth of television knows to do that much. Claudia hid her violin case in a sarcophagus that had no lid. It was well above eye level, and Jamie helped hoist her up so that she could reach it. It was a beautifully carved Roman marble sarcophagus. She hid her book bag behind a tapestry screen in the rooms of French furniture. Jamie wanted to hide his things in a mummy case, but Claudia said that that would be unnecessarily complicated. The Egyptian wing of the Metropolitan was too far away from their bedroom. For the number of wrists involved, it might as well be in Egypt. So the trumpet case was hidden inside a huge urn and Jamie's book bag was neatly tucked behind a drape that was behind a statue from the middle ages. Unfortunately the museum people had fastened all the drawers of their furniture so they couldn't be opened. They had never given a thought to the convenience of Jamie Kincaid. Manning their stations meant climbing back into the booths and waiting during the perilous time when the museum was open to staff but not to visitors. They washed up, combed their hair and even brushed their teeth. Then began those long moments. The first morning they weren't quite sure when the staff would arrive, so they hid good and early. While Claudia stood crouched down waiting, the emptiness and the hollowness of all the museum corridors filled her stomach. She was starved. She spent her time trying to remember, trying not to remember the delicious things to eat. Jimmy made one slight error that morning. It was almost enough to get caught. When he heard the sound of running water, he assumed that some male visitor was using the men's room to wash up. He checked his watch and saw that it was five past ten. He knew that the museum officially opened at ten o'clock, so he stepped down to walk out of his booth. It was not, however, a museum visitor who had turned on the water tap. It was a janitor filling his bucket. He was leaning down in the act of wringing out his mop when he saw Jamie's legs appear from nowhere, and then saw Jamie emerge. "'Where did you come from?' he asked. Jamie smiled and nodded. "'Mother always says that I came from heaven.' He bowed politely and walked out, delighted with his brush with danger. He could hardly wait to tell Claudia. Claudia chose not to be amused on so empty a stomach. The museum restaurant wouldn't open until 11.30, and the snack bar wouldn't open until after that, so they left the museum to get breakfast.' They went to the automat and used up a dollar's worth of Bruce's nickels. Jamie allotted 10 nickels to Claudia and kept 10 for himself. Jamie bought a cheese sandwich and coffee. After eating these, he still felt hungry, and he told Claudia she could have 25 more cents for pie if she wished. Claudia, who had eaten cereal and drunk pineapple juice, scolded him about the need to eat properly, breakfast food for breakfast, and lunch food for lunch. Jamie countered with complaints about Claudia's narrow-mindedness. They were better organized that second day. Knowing that they could not afford more than two meals a day, they stopped at a grocery and bought small packages of peanut butter crackers for for the night. They hid them in the various pockets of their clothing. They decided to join a school group for lunch at the snack bar. There would certainly be enough to choose from. That way, their faces would always be just part of the crowd. Upon their return to the museum, Claudia informed Jamie that they should take advantage of the wonderful opportunity they had to learn and to study. No other children in all the world since the world had began had had such an opportunity. So she set forth for herself and for her brother the task of learning everything about the museum, one thing at a time. Claudia probably didn't realize that the museum has over 365,000 works of art. Even if she had... She could not have been convinced that learning everything about everything was not possible. Her ambitions were as enormous and as multi-directional as the museum itself. Every day they would pick a different gallery about which they would learn everything. He could pick first, she would pick second, he third, and so on. Just like the television schedule at home. Jamie considered learning something every day outrageous. It was not only outrageous, it was unnecessary. Claudia simply did not know how to escape. He thought that he would put a quick end to this part of their runaway career. He chose the galleries of the Italian Renaissance. He didn't even know what the Renaissance was, except that it sounded important. And there seemed to be an awful lot of it. He figured that Claudia would soon give up in despair. When she gave Jamie first pick, Claudia had been certain he would choose arms and armor. She herself found these interesting. There were probably two days worth of learning there. Perhaps she might even choose the same on the second day. Claudia was surprised at Jamie's choice, but she thought she knew why he chose the Italian Renaissance. She thought she knew because along with tennis, ballet, and diving lessons at the Y, she had taken art appreciation lessons last year. Her art teacher had said that the Renaissance was a period of glorification of the human form. As best she could figure out, that meant bare bodies. Many painters of the Italian Renaissance had painted huge, billowy, bosomy, naked ladies. She was amazed at Jamie. She thought he was too young for that. He was. She never even considered the possibility that he wanted to be bored. He wanted her to be bored. She had given him first choice, and she was stuck with it. So she marched with him toward the long, wide stairway, straight in from the main entrance, which leads directly to the hall of the Italian Renaissance. If you think of doing something in New York City, you can be certain that at least 2,000 other people have the same thought. And of the 2,000 who do, about 1,000 will be standing in line waiting to do it. That day was no exception. There were at least 1,000 people waiting in line to see things in the Hall of the Italian Renaissance. Claudia and Jamie did not think that there was anything unusual about the size of, this, of the crowd. This was New York. Crowded was part of the definition of New York. To many art experts, Saxenburg, crowded, is part of the definition of the Italian Renaissance, too. It was a time much like this. Artistic activity was everywhere. Keeping track of the artists of the 15th and 16th centuries in Italy is as difficult as keeping track of tax laws in the 1950s and 60s in the United States, and almost as complicated. As they reached the top of the stairs, a guard said, Line forms to the right. Single file? Only, please. They did as they were told, partly because they didn't want to offend any guard or even attract his attention, and partly because the crowd made them. Ladies' arms draped with pocketbooks and man's arms draped with coats formed a barrier as difficult to get through as barbed wire. Claudia and Jamie stood in the manner of all children who are standing in line. They stood leaning back with their necks stretched and their heads tilted away, way back making a vain effort to see over the shoulders of the tall adult who always appears in front of them. Jamie could see nothing but the coat of the man in front of him. Claudia could see nothing but a piece of Jamie's head plus the coat of the man in front of him, of Jamie. They realized that they were approaching something out of the ordinary when they saw a newspaper cameraman walking along the edge of the crowd. The newsman carried a large black flash camera which had times stenciled in white on its case. Jamie tried to slow down to the pace of the photographer. He didn't know what he was having his picture taken for, but he liked getting his picture taken, especially for a newspaper. Once, when his class had visited the fire department, his picture had been in the paper back home. He had bought seven copies of the paper and used that page for book covers. When the book covers began to tear, he covered the covers with saran wrap. They were still in his bookcase at home. Claudia sensed danger. At least she remembered they had run away from home and she didn't want any New York paper advertising her whereabouts or Jamie's either, especially if her parents happened to be looking for her. Someone in Greenwich was bound to read the New York Times and tell her folks. It would be more than a clue. It would be like booking anyone looking for them on a chartered bus straight to the hideaway. Wouldn't her, wouldn't her brother ever learn inconspicuous she shoved him he almost fell into the man in the coat Jamie turned to Claudia and gave her an awful look Claudia paid no attention for now they reached what everyone was standing in line to see a statue of an angel her arms were folded and she was looking holy as Claudia passed by she thought that the angel was the most beautiful most graceful little statue she had ever seen she wanted to stop and stare she almost did but the crowd wouldn't let her As Jamie passed by, she thought that he would get even with Claudia for for shoving him. They followed the line to the end of the Renaissance Hall. When the velvet velvet ropes that had guided the crowd by creating a narrow street within the room ended, they found themselves going down a staircase to the main floor. Claudia was lost in remembrance of the beautiful angel she had seen. Why did she seem so important? And why was she so special? Of course she was beautiful, graceful, polished, but so were many other things at the museum. Her sarcophagus, for example, the one in which her violin case was hidden. And why was all that commotion about her? The man had come to take pictures. There would be something about it in tomorrow's paper. They would find out from the newspapers. She spoke to Jamie. We'll have to buy a New York Times tomorrow to see the picture. Jamie was still mad about the shove. Why would he want to buy a paper? He wouldn't be in the picture. He chose to fight with Cla- he chose to fight Claudia with the one weapon he had, the power of the purse. He answered, "We can't afford a New York Times. It costs a dime. We've got to get one, Jamie. Don't you want to know why that's so important? What's so important about that statue? Why everyone is standing in line to see it?" Jamie felt that letting Claudia know that she couldn't get away with shoving him in public was more important than his curiosity. Well, perhaps tomorrow you can push someone down and grab his paper while he's trying to get up. I'm afraid, though, that our budget won't allow for this expense. They walked for a short while before Claudia said, I'll find some way. She was determined about that. She was also determined about learning. They wouldn't skip a lesson so easily. Since we can't learn everything about the Italian Renaissance today, let's learn everything about the Egyptian rooms. That will be our lesson instead. Jamie liked the mummies, even if he didn't like the lessons, so they walked together to the Egyptian wing. There they encountered a class that was also touring the halls. Each child in the class wore a round circle of blue construction paper, on which was written in Magic archer, Marker, Grade 6, W, P, S. The class was seated on little rubber mats around a glass case, within which was a mummy, Uh, that they were talking about the teacher sat on a folding stool both claudia and jamie wandered over toward the class and soon became part of it almost they listened to the guide a very pretty young lady who worked for the museum and they learned a lot they didn't even mind they were surprised when they could actually learn something when they weren't in class the guide told them how mummies were prepared and how egypt's dry climate helped to preserve them She told them about digging for tombs, and she told them about the beautiful princess Sir Hot Hor Yunet, whose jewelry they would see in another room. Before they left this room, however, she wanted to know if there were any questions. Since I'm sure this group was typical of all school groups that I've observed at the museum, I can tell you what they were doing. At least 12 members of Grade 6 WPS were poking, busy poking each other. Twelve were wondering when they would eat, four were worried about how long it would take before they could get a drink of water. Only Jamie had a question. How much did it cost to become a mummy? The pretty guy thought he was part of the class. The teacher thought that he was planted in the audience to pep up the discussion. The class knew that he was an imposter. When they bothered to notice Claudia, they knew that she was one too. But the class had good manners that had come with not caring. They would leave the imposters alone. The question, however, would have caused at least 10 of them to stop poking each other, 6 to forget about eating, and 3 others to find the need for a drink suddenly less urgent. It caused Claudia to want to embalm Jamie in a vat of mummy fluid right that minute. That would teach him to be inconspicuous. The guide told Jamie that some people saved all their lives so they could become mummies. It was indeed expensive. One of the students called out you might even say it cost him his life everyone laughed then they picked up their rubber mats and walked to the next room claudia was ready to pull jamie out of line and make him learn another in another part of the museum today but she got a glimpse of the room they were to go in next it was filled with jewelry case after case of it so they followed the class into the hall after a short talk there the guide bid them goodbye and mentioned that they might enjoy buying some of the museum's pamphlets on egypt Jamie asked if they were expensive. The guide answered, some are as inexpensive as a copy of the Sunday New York Times. Others cost much more. Jamie looked over at Claudia. He shouldn't have. Claudia looked as satisfied as the bronze statue of the Egyptian cat she was standing near. The only real difference between them was that the cat wore tiny gold earrings and looked a trifle less smug.